Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. The Dream's Interpretation Your Majesty, as you are watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold, its chest and arms were silver, its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything, and like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. You saw the feet and toes, partly of a potter's fired clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay, and the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong, and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay. The people will mix with one another, but will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with fired clay. In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the kingdom what will happen in the future. The dream is certain and its interpretation reliable. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's quite a passage quite a dream that Daniel interpreted for the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So we'll get to that dream in a moment, but we are in the book of Daniel for the fall. We're in a series called Faithful in Exile. Usually uh, in the fall season, that's a time for us to look at a portion of scripture to set our vision and direction as a church. And just three weeks in now to the book of Daniel, I don't know about you if you've been tracking with us, but for me, I am more convinced than ever for myself and for us as a church that Daniel is the book that we need. Why? Well, to review the context here, Daniel was written during, and it was written for a time of exile. The experience of exile for the people of Israel and uh, for Daniel has so many connections to our current experience, which we could call and consider in exile. It's our time of of crisis and difficulty that we are all living in. Let's talk about some of these connections. For Daniel, a life in exile meant a whole new normal for him 
and for all of the people of Israel. It's something he never could have imagined. There was political crisis. His leaders and nation was defeated. He lived and served under political leadership that he did not agree with, that did not hold to the same beliefs that he did. So it was a political crisis. It was a spiritual crisis. Everything he had relied on to give structure and meaning to his spiritual life was gone. The temple, the sacrifices, the singing and the teaching of the priests around the temple, all gone. And personally, for himself, he was taken out of what was normal to him into a whole new normal where he had to deal with very foundational questions. His old answers, his old practices weren't enough. And he was wondering, where is God in it all? These are the questions of exile. Where is God? What is God doing? What does faithfulness look like now with so many change and so many challenges? What are we to make of it? That is the setting of the book of Daniel. Do you see the connections to our current crisis and the things that we are living through now? There's so many. The message of Daniel is this. I've shared it before. Even when it doesn't seem like it, in exile, God is in control. God is at work. And he will give us the strength and the wisdom, as we saw last week, to be faithful in times of crisis. But believing that this is true and living it out is far from easy or simple or straightforward. It is very, very hard because it takes letting go of what was normal, what used to work, what we expected from God in order to trust him in a new normal and discover what it is he calls us to do. That's what this passage today is all about. The title of the message today is The Dream of a Kingdom. And that's what the passage is all about. And I'm going to go ahead and put the message uh, theme, the focus of today's message, up on the screen. And that's this. To trust God in exile, it takes the shattering of dreams that are fleeting to live for a new dream that is reliable and sure. To trust God in exile takes the shattering of dreams that are fleeting to live for a new dream that is reliable and sure. So the passage we're going to look at today is about a dream that the great king of the empire Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was having that troubled him so much he couldn't sleep. He was agitated. He was anxious. He couldn't sleep until he understood what it meant. Now, last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 2, which focused on how God had sent Nebuchadnezzar this dream to show him and all the people of Babylon the limits of human wisdom, our need for God's wisdom and how he gives us the wisdom to understand even in times of crisis and exile. But today, we're going to look at the actual dream itself. So back in chapter 2, verse 1, we see that it wasn't just a one-time dream. In fact, it says at the beginning of the chapter that Nebuchadnezzar was having dreams that troubled him. But then when he went to the wise men and said, I want you to interpret it, he called it a dream. So what was, what was happening? It looks like it was a recurring nightmare. It was the same dream happening over and over again. And Nebuchadnezzar knew it meant something, and he was terrified about what it meant. Now, why was he so scared and disturbed? 
well, we just heard the passage. It's a bit of a terrifying nightmare, isn't it? In verse 31, Daniel begins to describe the dream. So in the dream, there is this colossal statue, right? It's tall and it's dazzling, made of all these different metals. And here's what it looked like. If you can't quite picture it, I have a few pictures for us. Well, first is like a drawing. So we'll put that up on the slide. There it is. And then uh, there's actually a little tiny statue that somebody made. We have the next picture here. You can buy the statue in this dream on Etsy. Uh, after this message, if you feel like you want to do it, you can go uh, check that out. But that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. But it was colossal, and it was huge. And he saw this amazing statue, and then out of nowhere, a stone comes flying to smash the feet of the statue, but were made partially of iron and clay, and the whole thing is crushed, and it's shattered, and it's no more. It's a pretty freaky, disturbing, recurring nightmare to have, isn't it? Especially if the statue in the dream represents the great dream of your life, which, as we'll see, for Nebuchadnezzar, it did just that. Now, what if I said to you back in January, think about your dreams for 2020, okay? Just, just picture your dream for how 2020 would go. See it and don't hold back. You know, picture the most glorious and most amazing dream in all of its splendor, okay? Just, just picture that. And then picture a rock coming to smash it all to bits and pieces. We might all be saying, well, that's kind of how 2020 feels. You know, we could probably make a meme out of all that, out of the statue in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, back in January, if I did that to you, you would say, well, that was cruel. <laughs> Why did you just say that to me? Why are you doing this? But now in September, you might say, how did you know? You were preparing me. Uh, you were actually even loving me protecting me from false hopes and dreams to lead me to real hope. In this passage, God is doing just that, to move us from living for the dream of a kingdom that won't last to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, to a dream of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're going to look at three points of application as we go through this dream. First, there is uh, application for the kingdoms that we live in. Uh, the political kingdoms that we live in. So there's political application. There's application for the kingdom that will last. What is the kingdom that will last, that's unshakable? What is the dream? And thirdly, there's application for the kingdoms we will live for, for our own personal dreams, even in this time of great crisis. So let's dig into that first. First point, the kingdoms that we live in. First, the dream exposes and reveals the truth about the kingdoms that we live in. What it shows us is very important, friends, for our politically turbulent and divisive times. How are we to interpret this dream? How does Daniel do it? Well, it's clearly political, right? These are political kingdoms that are pictured in the four successive regions of this great statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you and Babylon, are the head of gold, your majesty, king of kings. God has given you rule. After you, there will arise another kingdom, and then a third kingdom, and then a fourth. Now, here's what we need to know to get to the real point and heart of this passage, okay? Very important. 
The dream is not given for us to focus in on identifying the specific kingdoms and establish some sort of chronology and timeline. What God is revealing here is the rise and the fall of kingdoms from Babylon onward throughout Israel's time and experience in exile. That's what's happening. It's kingdoms that would reign over them. Now, there is debate over the exact sequence. Okay, there's, there's some reason we can believe we can identify these kingdoms. Some, though, end with Greece at the bottom in the feet, and some interpreters say, no, that should be Rome there at the bottom. It depends on whether you count the Medes and the Persians once or twice. But here's the deal. <laughs> Figuring that out is not the point of this passage. It won't get us to the heart. The dream is not there to give us a timeline, but to give us a perspective on the kingdoms that we live in. Another way to say that is to give us perspective on politics. That's how we would say it today. There are two principles here, two perspectives that are very, very important for us. First principle, I'm going to put it up on the screen. God is sovereign over the kingdoms we live in. In verse 37, Daniel tells the most powerful man in the world at the time to his face. The meaning of the dream is this. God has given you all this glory, all this kingdom, all this power. It's not you. It's him. Now, as we think about this, this truth, this principle, it's a hard truth to wrap our minds around, but it is a very hopeful truth. Very important for us to keep our perspective in politics, especially now. It's hard because it raises hard questions, doesn't it? And it did in Daniel's time. How could God allow and be somehow over Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, all this oppression, subjugation? They attempted really a cultural genocide of the Jewish people. How is God reigning over that? What is he doing? And we don't have time to pursue those questions today. Those are the hard questions. And though it raises questions like that, intentions, what's important for us to see is that it also resolves a fundamental question that enables us to hold on to hope no matter what kingdom we live in, no matter who is in power, no matter who is elected, or what happens on November 4th and afterward. The question is this, is history and is my life in the hands of the leaders and the kingdoms of this world? Or is my life, is history in the hands of a sovereign God who is just and good and wise and loving? Will God, is there a God to hold the rulers and the powers that be accountable for how they use the power that he has given to them? If the answer is no to those questions, then we have every reason to join in on the panic or the despair or the attacks and the division because everything depends on the kingdom we live in. But if the answer is yes, there is a God who is sovereign over it all, we can remain calm. We can have hope. God is in control and at work no matter what political leaders rise and fall even when we struggle to understand it. That's a very important first principle. God is sovereign over the kingdoms we live in. We must hold to that in our times. Second, very important principle. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's this. God's purpose does not depend on the kingdoms that we live in. God is sovereign over 
the kingdoms we live in, and his purpose does not depend on the kingdoms we live in. This is the second point of political perspective given to us in the dream. The kingdoms of this world come and go, but God's purpose carries on and will prevail while they are in power and long after they have crumbled into dust. God's kingdom will stand. The dream for Nebuchadnezzar and for Daniel and the readers of Daniel, the people who lived under Nebuchadnezzar's and Babylon's rule, the political message was clear for them and for the believer. It's don't be seduced by the statue. It's dazzling head of gold. How strong and mighty it seems. It seems so beautiful, so much splendor, so much strength. Don't be seduced by that. And don't be afraid of it. It has feet of clay. See that? Don't be seduced by the gold. And don't be afraid of it. It has feet of clay. No matter how glorious it looks, it's golden and gray. No matter how iron strong it appears, it is all fleeting. One day it will all be carried away. And verse 35 says, not even a trace will be left. Now, history proves this is true, does it not? 100% of the world's greatest empires end up as chaff. Eventually, if they do continue on in some way, shape, or form, it's really as a shell of their former glory. You know, I found a list, I have it here printed up, of the world's uh, 55 of the world's greatest empires from the Global Policy Forum website. Here are some of them. The Egyptian Empire, the Akkadian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the ancient Chinese Empire, Shang and Chu, the Hittites, the Syrians, the Persians, the Macedonians, the Romans, the Byzantines, the great Mesoamerican empires, Mayan, Aztec, the Bulgarian Empire, the Medieval German Empire, the Danish Empire, the Mongol Empire, the Habsburg Empire, the Portuguese, the Spanish, and so on, and so on. And I know you can't really see this. This is a list of all these empires. <laughs> but the thing about them all, they all have a start date, and they all have an end date. It is true of every kingdom that we could live in. How does this apply to us in our situation now? In politically tumultuous times, it helps us step back and regain perspective on our time, on our nation, and on our leaders from the vantage point of heaven. Now, I want to share an illustration to share how important this is for us. We need to gain perspective. We can, we can see uh, how this plays out, this, this perspective uh, from heaven. I want to share a few pictures just to illustrate how important this is. A lot of us are spending time uh, with a very limited perspective just uh, on our phones. <laughs> I have screen time, uh, you know, that keeps track of my phone. And sometimes I look at that screen time, like how, how did I spend, you know, six, seven hours? How was my phone active and on? But when we just see the world through the limited perspective of that tiny little screen, just a few inches, we're very limited in what we can see. Often what I like to do in my life is get outside to get perspective, outside of a screen, outside of my house. There's a canyon right next door to where we live, Peter's Canyon, and there's a hill on top 
uh, right right behind us, a hill. And you can see uh, pretty far from that hill on a clear day. I have a picture I took a number of months ago. I can see almost uh, all the way to the mountains there. I like to get up on the hill and remind myself, there's more to my life than just me. <laughs> there's this whole county. There's this whole city. Look at the mountains. Look at the ocean. It gives perspective. We could zoom out even further. Sometimes we look at our whole country and go, it's not just me, it's not just my city, it's not just my family, but I live in a nation. Let me get a perspective on that, the whole nation, what's going on, what's important. And we can zoom out even further and say, I am a person, a tiny little dot on a globe spinning in outer space. It gives us perspective on all the tumult, all the craziness that's happening all around us in our time. We need to zoom out and get perspective. Christian friends, the dream that's here in Daniel 2 gives us extremely important perspective on politics for our times. Let me say it like this. Christians in America must be cured of the dream of thinking the kingdom of God depends on politics, political leaders, parties, and political power on the right or on the left. It is so important. We won't be able to, please hear this, we won't be able to take our place of faithful presence and witness as citizens of the kingdom of God in the kingdoms we live in to serve, to bless, and to be working for good until the dream is shattered. Until the dream is shattered of thinking the kingdom of God depends on political power. Look at what happens after Daniel shares the interpretation with King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 47. Nebuchadnezzar says, Your God is indeed God of gods and Lord of kings. That sounds really good, right? And he says, I promote you and your friends to these high positions of power in my kingdom. Thank you for telling me about the meaning of my statue dream. You are the best. Your God is real. Any friend of yours, Daniel, is a friend of mine. In the very next chapter... He says, I will kill your friends for not bowing down to my statue. When rulers, leaders of any side or stripe give lip service to the faith, like Nebuchadnezzar did here, that they give uh, lip service to the belief uh, that we have. They offer favors and a seat at the table and power. The message is beware. Beware. Christians and Christianity has never thrived has never been a long-lasting blessing to the world whenever it has become aligned with power and driven by the dream of power. This is not how the kingdom of God comes. But in verse 49, we see Daniel remained at the king's court. He served for the good of Nebuchadnezzar and even Babylon. He was able to do it because he understood the dream. His allegiance was to God's kingdom, not to Babylon and what it could give him. And because of this, he was a faithful servant and a faithful witness to God and his kingdom. Even after Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were conquered. That's the first point. History tells us so much about the kingdoms that we live in. It also tells us about the kingdom that will last. Second point. Meaning of the dream is what? The dreams and the hopes that we have that are all wrapped up in the kingdoms we live in, those dreams must be shattered 
because they are fading in order for us to see that there is a better dream. There is a better hope. There is a kingdom that will last. That is God's kingdom. And this dream shows us the difference between these kingdoms, the kingdoms we build and the kingdom that God builds. The kingdoms we build, they look dazzling and glorious and strong, but God's kingdom looks small. It looks weak. It looks unremarkable, but it lasts forever, and one day it will fill the earth. That's what the dream is about, right? And the stone in the dream, I have a little show and tell. The stone in the dream, here's a stone. It shows us how this kingdom comes. This tiny stone versus the colossal statue of the mighty powers of this world. The stone wins. In verse 42, uh, verse 44, I'm going to read that. Here's what it says. In those days, the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. Through the stone. It says this stone comes without a hand touching it. Two times it says that this is a stone that no hand has touched. The meaning is it's not a work of human effort and power. It's a stone. It's the least impressive, uh, least valuable, the smallest thing mentioned in the dream. A little stone. What chance does a tiny stone have against a mighty colossus? But gradually the stone grows to be a mountain that fills the whole earth forever. So the kingdom of God comes supernaturally, not by human effort and power. It comes in a way that's small and spectacular, grows gradually, yet it becomes powerfully, outlasting all kingdoms, crushing them. The little rock takes it all down. For Daniel, do you see, this was good news for him in exile. God is in control. God is at work. Even when I can't see it, he's working in ways that I don't understand. He's not working in the way that I can see, not working through the powers of this world. He's working through a small stone. In God's time and in God's way, he will establish his kingdom of justice and peace and healing and reconciliation, and it will fill the whole earth. And Daniel said, this is good news. I can press on with hope because of this. For us, it can be even better news in our exile. Why? Well, for Daniel, he didn't know what the stone was or what it stood for or who it was. But we do. Jesus quoted Daniel's dream. He quoted 2 verse 44 in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20 and verses 17 and 18. We'll throw those verses up so you can see those. He had just finished a parable, a parable that was about his rejection at the hands of the leaders of Israel, the political leaders, those who were in power, who expected the kingdom of God to come with strength and force and might. He said, you have rejected me. And then he said this, what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, I've always been kind of troubled and puzzled by what Jesus says here. Look, look at it. Keep, keep that up on the screen. This is what Jesus says about being the stone. He says, option A, there's two options here. Option A, you stumble 
and you get broken to pieces on the stone. Option B, the stone falls on you and crushes you. And I'm just reading that going, what about option C? That there isn't one given. But doesn't it look like the dream of, J of Daniel chapter 2? The stone crushes all human kingdoms to build a kingdom that will last, right? Jesus is saying this, I am the stone. I am the stone who comes to smash all human self-made dreams of a kingdom that are built on the foundations of feet of clay so that you might build your life on me and my kingdom that will last forever. If six months of COVID and crisis has done anything for us, I know it's done this for me. It's shown us our foundations. Hasn't it revealed those things to us? What are we building our lives and our dreams on? We've had six months of crisis and difficulty and uh, unprecedented uh, things that are coming at us all the time. And it's showing us what are we building our lives on? What's at the foundation? It's unsettling. It's disorienting. But the lesson of the dream is that it takes the shattering of dreams that are fleeting in order for us to see and in order for us to live for a dream that is sure and reliable. Let's, let's put that up on the slide. I said that earlier in the message. The message and the lesson of the dream is that it takes the shattering of dreams that are fleeting to see and to live for a dream that is reliable and sure. You see, the grace and the love of Jesus are even in the, re the, re the revelation of what is at our foundation, even when it has to be broken, even when it needs to be crushed. The dream that seems like a nightmare this dream of Daniel 2 is actually the best dream possible. In the shattering, we feel like, how can God love me? Things are being shattered. But the shattering is him loving us, is it not? The essence of sin in the Bible is building our world on the clay foundations of self-rule, building our own kingdoms, which are destined to crumble and break down in a never-ending cycle of rise and fall and oppression and selfishness and injustice. The message of salvation is God in his love and in his grace. He will send a stone to crush all of this. A stone that we can build our lives on. And he has done this in Jesus. So there is hope and peace we can have even in times of exile. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. And it will one day come forever and fill the whole earth. The kingdom is already come in him. It's not yet come in its fullness, but we can have sure and certain hope that it will. That is the gospel. Third point, the kingdoms we live in, the kingdom that will last, what does this all mean? How does it drive home to us? Well, God was saying something very important at a macro level, all about the kingdoms and the nations of the world. So there's a political and a historical message here that's very important on the macro level. But he was saying something a very personal level also to Nebuchadnezzar. And what he was doing with Nebuchadnezzar has some very important personal applications for us. You know, did Nebuchadnezzar really 
understand the interpretation of the dream? Did he take it to heart? What do you think? If you look there in your Bible, it says he, he fell face down, but he, he worshiped Daniel and he said, your God is the God of gods and the King of kings, which wasn't the point of the dream. That was off. I'd, I don't think he got it at all. Why do I say that? Well, the very next chapter is about what? We'll get to this next week. The very next chapter is about him building a statue <laughs> to be worshipped by all. And it seems really clear and obvious that the statue represents him. God sent him a dream about a statue being destroyed. So what does he do? He builds the greatest statue ever built, probably in human history at the time. So the question for us is this. What happens when you realize your dreams are built on feet of clay? What happens when your dreams start to shatter and crumble? What Nebuchadnezzar is saying, he's saying, though I can see my great dream, it's destined to fade away one day. I saw that in the dream, but I'm going to cling to it. I'm not letting it go. I know its foundation is clay. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm living for my kingdom. He held to the dream of his kingdom of self, despite being given the chance to let it be shattered, to build his life on a true foundation. What about us? Like Nebuchadnezzar, every one of us has a dream of a kingdom, the way that we want to be seen, the way that we want life to go. We want to rule a world of our own making. Jesus is saying, when he says the kingdom of God has come, he is saying, I have a better dream for you than a kingdom of your own making. It is my kingdom. It is not fragile. It is not fading, but it is reliable and sure. It is far more glorious and great than anything you could even imagine. It's making you who you were created to be, holy, whole, selfless, loving, a blessing to others, a servant of the King who made you. This kingdom will come through you the way it has come to you. Though it seems like a stone, small and insignificant, the stone has supernatural power. It's not by human effort and strength, simply by faith and trusting that the King, Jesus, in his power and his strength, not, it's not going to make the headlines. It's not going to be according to the way that power works in our world. But the kingdom of God, when that is what we build our lives upon, Jesus says, we have something sure and reliable, something to stand on, a hope that will not fade greater than anything we could build in our wildest imagination. And so, friends, that's the choice of this text before us. Will we build our dreams, having seen their end? Or will we allow Jesus and his grace and mercy to shatter those dreams in order to build our lives on his kingdom? Think about that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage, this dream. This dream that is hard for us to hear. It's a dream about shattering and crushing 
and things fading away forever. And yet, Lord, I pray we would hear the hope in this dream, the great hope that we so need, the hope of a kingdom that will last forever. And I pray for each one of us as we're processing this text and its message in our own lives. If we feel like we're seeing the feet of clay, we built our lives on feet of clay. May we come to you in repentance and faith and say, Lord, I want to build my life on your kingdom. Where we're seeing things shatter, where we're seeing things crushed, may we, Lord, see that you are not crushing us, but you are saving us from that which would truly and finally crush us. So help us have great hope in that and to trust you. Lead us in faithfulness in this hard time. Lead us in faithfulness politically. Lead us in faithfulness to trust in you and lead us in faithfulness to build our lives on your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.